the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. If we look to the answer as to why for so many years we achieved so much, prospered as no other people on earth, it was because here in this land we unleashed the energy and individual genius of man to a greater extent than has ever been done before. This great nation will endure as it has endured. Let me assert my firm belief that the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Freedom and the dignity of the individual have been more available and assured here than in any other place on earth. You are about to embark upon the great crusade toward which we have striven these many months. The eyes of the world are upon you. The hopes and prayers of liberty-loving people everywhere march with you. We're not, as some would have us believe, doomed to an inevitable decline. I do not believe in a fate that will fall on us no matter what we do. I do believe in a fate that will fall on us if we do nothing. And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. From every mountainside, let freedom ring, and if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. So let freedom ring. As for the enemies of freedom, those who are potential adversaries, they will be reminded that peace is the highest aspiration of the American people. We will negotiate for it, sacrifice for it. We will not surrender for it now or ever. We are Americans. This is Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Here's your host, Bob France. You better believe it is. And a good morning to you. Thanks for joining us. It's nine minutes after the hour of nine o'clock on a Wednesday, the first morning of the second month. How about that? Of the year of our Lord, 2023. The worst month, according to a recent survey. <laughs> we talked about this just briefly yesterday, but somebody actually did <clears throat> a national survey about favorite month and least favorite month. And uh, I believe it was October in a runaway uh, that said favorite month. I have to concur. Either September or October. Probably October because I love fall. It's my favorite season of the year. There's a lot of good stuff going on. It's anticipation of the holiday season and so on and so forth. But uh, anyway, October 1 and February lost. February is the worst month for weather. There's just nothing going on. It's just, uh, it's. I talked about this briefly in yesterday's Open, too. But there you go. I, I thought somebody was just asking online, and I just responded to it when I was on my Twitter, which you can follow me there at France Rants, F-R-A-N-T-Z. Rants, R-A-N-T-Z, France Rants, on Twitter. And I thought I was just answering somebody's rando question. I didn't know it was like a national thing, but it is. It's a national survey uh, that was done, and uh, apparently Americans don't like February. And I must concur. I don't either. Uh, June is by far my least favorite month, however. But uh, 
At any rate, away we go. It is February, and we're going to deal with it for all 28 days of it, whatever it may uh, that may entail. Coming up on the program today, <clears throat> in about a half an hour, we're going to talk to R.C. Maxwell of Project Veritas. Project Veritas are straight-up heroes. <clears throat> James O'Keefe and his staff are straight-up heroes because they were the ones who blew the whistle through the undercover reporting on Pfizer for promoting, promising, bragging about gain-of-function research being used to uh, enrich themselves even more. They have already made billions upon billions of dollars, $81 billion in 2022 alone, probably a similar number when they were pushing the jabs and mandating them through uh, Joe Biden in 2021, and a little bit less so in 2020 because President Trump, through Operation Warp Speed, got the jabs started around November of 2020. And that, by the way, is another conversation. That is a very important conversation, one that President Trump probably doesn't want to have, and I know he doesn't want to have, actually, because he's being called out for his ongoing and incessant promotion and support and defense of the mRNA vaccines because Operation Warp Speed was his baby. He was extremely proud of that. And uh, I was, too, for him. But unlike President Trump, <laughs> I and many others are watching people drop at an alarming rate after taking these jabs, and we're saying, okay, and some of us have been saying it for about two years now, stop this madness. Stop it right now. you got to renounce these shots. President Trump will not and has not, and that's a problem. Did he mandate it? No. But is he renouncing it? No, and he should. Anyway, Pfizer is now in some serious hot water, and we're going to talk to uh, R.C. Maxwell of Project Veritas coming up at 9.35. At 10.35, for the first time as a sworn-in congressman, Max Miller will join us. He has introduced a resolution trying to keep Ilhan Omar off of the Foreign Relations Committee, and this is in spite of some of his colleagues on the Republican side actually defending Jihad Omar, which is very, very surprising. So we'll talk to him about that as well as the uh, looming debt fight and what his priorities are here in the uh, early going of his uh, first congressional term. At 11.10, our good friend Jack Windsor, who is the um, uh, uh, founder and editor of the Ohio Press Network and my broadcast partner, rather my podcast partner on Talking Smack with Bob and Jack. So Jack will be with us at 11.10. R.C. Maxwell, Max Miller, and Jack, uh, Jack Windsor will be our guests this morning. And as I say to you every morning, you are my most important guest when you are ready to talk. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Either one of those numbers is just fine by me. Now, before we get into the news of the day, and we have got a lot of it, uh, I want to uh, ask you to rise as the patriot that you are. I want you to put your hand on your heart, and I want you to look at your flag if you have one nearby. And if you don't, let's work on that. And I want you to join me for the Pledge of Allegiance. Of course, if you're listening to this program and you believe in ESG investing, and you believe in letting your money managers put your money into companies and stocks based on their social scores rather than their return on investment prospects, if you believe in woke investing with your hard-earned retirement savings, well, then you don't have any earthly idea what this country nor that flag stands for. You are, therefore, exempted from the request to pledge your allegiance to it. Instead, go take a knee next to your favorite ex-quarterback. For the rest of us, I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic 
for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. As almost always, I tie my little lead into the Pledge of Allegiance into the lead story of the day, and that is exactly what we have in front of us right now. Every Republican senator, all 49 of them, and Democrat Joe Manchin, now let me help. Let me get up my my uh, calculator here real quick. Forty nine and one. That's fifty. That's fifty by my count and my calculator's count. Forty nine and one are fifty. It's not enough, but it's a start. Every Republican senator at Joe Manchin introducing legislation to end Biden's new ESG rule, which took effect on uh, Monday. It took effect on Monday. This politicizes the retirement savings of 152 million Americans, probably you. What do we mean by politicizing the retirement savings? What is ESG? Maybe you know it by now, maybe you do not. The Department of Labor under Biden unveiled this rule in November, and it went into effect, like I said, on Monday, the 30th. It allows retirement plan managers, the people who invest your 401Ks or your IRAs um, for you to maximize returns and give you money to live on in your retirement, it allows them to factor environmental and social issues into their investment decisions. Now, this disapproval resolution, according to Fox, is led by Mike Braun, Republican from Indiana, and is going to be introduced today and a companion bill in the House. So Senator Mike Braun, and then in the House, the companion bill will be introduced by Andy Barr, Republican from Kentucky. Congressional passage of the resolution will allow Congress to overrule the administration and kill the regulation. President Biden, according to Senator Mike Braun from Indiana, is jeopardizing the retirement savings of millions of Americans for a political agenda. Braun is spot on, 100% correct. He went on to say, in a time when Americans 401k, now let let me ask you, do you know how well stocked you are and how well healed you are for your retirement? Especially if you're in your 50s, maybe even early 60s if you're near retirement age. What about if you're in your 40s and you've got a long way to go? You've got 20 years. Do you you believe, are you confident that your money is in the right place with stocks and bonds to grow enough for you to be able to retire comfortably. And if you say, yeah, I really do feel good about that, I'm going to ask you a follow-up question. Have you checked it lately? Because I'm going to tell you something. In Biden's economy, under Biden economic policy, Bidenflation, your stocks took a dump last year. The overall stock market was down about 30% last year. Because of Biden's economy and his decision-making, bonds 10 to 20%, all down. That means the value of your portfolio for retirement took a great big giant dump last year. And now, when we hope in 2023 to see some sort of rebound there, in spite of Biden, because it won't be because of him, now at a time when we need to rebound that so that our you know losses become gains, or at least maybe we get back our losses, here comes Joe Biden and his administration 
telling the fund managers, don't always invest in the funds that are going to bring the biggest return on the investment for your uh, for your clients. You make sure that the, the, the companies you invest in, the stocks that you buy for your clients, are in line with our ESG goals, our environment, social, and governance goals. I hope you know where your money is, and I hope you are ready to make a phone call immediately to your investor, to your uh, 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 um, purchaser, fund manager, wealth manager, whatever it is you want to call them. You need to be calling them immediately today and ask them, are you using ESG to invest my money? Because if you are, I'm going somewhere else. You need to tell them that very directly. If they're putting your money into stocks uh, based on companies' environmental positions or their social justice positions, and those stocks and those companies might not have the same uh, prospects for returns as another company that doesn't have some sort of environmental platform or some sort of social justice platform, they're costing you money. All so that Biden can say, look what we did. We put billions and billions of people's dollars in play for companies that are, that are, you know, aware of and acting on the climate threat and acting on social justice conditions. This is, is astounding. Senator Mike Braun said, in a time when Americans' 401ks have already taken such a hit due to market downturns and record high inflation, the last thing we should do is encourage fiduciaries to make decisions with a lower rate of return for purely ideological reasons. That's damn right. That's why we are proud to stand up against this rule for the millions of Americans who depend on these funds for their retirement, end quote. A group of 25 states last week filed a federal lawsuit against Biden uh, over this rule, which Utah Attorney General Sean Reyes said would put millions of American safety net re- retirement plans at risk. Mine, I've got an IRA. Maybe you've got a 401k. What do you have? And do you know what it did last year? I'm telling you. The entire market took a great big giant downturn last year. Your money is in jeopardy. And now this year, starting today, actually starting on Monday, Joe Biden wants your money managers to look at the social justice scores and environmental scores of companies before they let you invest uh, your money or they invest your money into those for you. That's astounding. In the lawsuit, the states allege that the DOL violated the Employee Retirement and Income Security Act of 1974. That law sets standards for the retirement income of 152 million U.S. workers, equivalent to more than two-thirds of the nation's adult population, and applies to roughly $12 trillion in assets. A Braun aide said the resolution will receive a vote on the Senate and House floor in the coming weeks under the Congressional Review Act. Joint resolutions of disapproval cannot be prevented from being considered on the floor, including by Chuck Schumer's Senate. The resolution will only require a simple majority vote threshold to pass and be sent to Biden, and supporters of the resolution expect at least one more Democrat to support it and pass it in the Senate. Remember the math I did a moment ago? 49 plus 1 is not enough. 49 plus Mansion is 50, which brings us to where we were the last two years, 50-50 deadlock, Kamala Harris breaks the tie. So somebody on the Democrat side is going to have to step up for the people 
and their retirement savings to people of their states and the retire and their retirement savings retirement plans should be solely focused on delivering maximum returns not advancing a political agenda that's exactly right um, if Congress does not block the Department of Labor's, Labor's rule greenlighting ESG investing in retirement plans, retirees will suffer diminished returns on the investment of their hard-earned money. It's time for Congress to act, and I supplo- uh, applaud Senator Braun and our colleagues for reviewing, or excuse me, for renewing this fight. Groups uh, supporting this include uh, some of the more well-known conservative organizations nationwide, Club for Growth, America First Policy Institute, American Accountability, Heritage Foundation, uh, and many, many more. So this is a big, big deal. And I'm curious, 216-901-0945, tell me something. Do you know what your retirement fund did last year? And do you know where your investor is targeting to put your money this year? Do you know? Your wealth manager, your broker, whatever it is you want to call them, do you know where they're putting your money, and do you know if they believe in ESG and are going to follow this guideline by the Biden administration? Because I'm telling you right now, this is I, I've got no dog in this fight. I'm not representing a client. I'm not telling you anybody uh, anything uh, you know that uh, I, I really don't believe in. In fact, I'll tell you the truth. Literally yesterday, at one o'clock. I had a phone call with my investor for my the guy who manages my IRA for me, and we discussed this very issue. And I want to make sure that none of my investments are being uh, decided or being made upon somebody's ESG score, some company's environmental social governance score. I'm not going to, first of all, it's about returns on my investment. I want my money back. I lost 30% last year like everybody else did. So I want my money back, but second of all, and equally as important, this is kind of 1A and 1B, I don't want to support left-wing causes with my retirement dollars. I don't want to, I don't want to invest any of my retirement dollars that are in the market right now into a company that is going to be doing something that I find to be completely and wholly wrong, unnecessary, like social justice causes divisive causes based on race or based on uh, ideas of America as a systemically racist country or uh, a company that promotes uh, LGBTQ uh, insanity and the butchering of children or a company that supports changing pronouns or respecting pronouns and letting people make up their own ridiculous identities. I don't want to support any of that. I sure as hell do not want to support any company that is taking some of the my money that I might invest with them to advance their green energy initiatives, the climate change scam that they continue to pull upon over all of us. I don't want my money going to that, even if. I'll give you one last statement on this, and then I'll shut up about it. Even if investing my money into companies that take those stances provided me with a better return on my investment. I would instruct my my uh, uh, broker, my, my, my investment guy, I don't even know what to call him. I call him Mitch. I would say, Mitch, do me a favor. Don't put any money into those, even if they do return more uh, 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 of my investment for me, even if they get a higher rate of return on my investment, because I'm not supporting those causes. Put my money into companies that are either neutral or are, are supportive of things that I do. And if it does make me just a little bit less, I will accept that. 
But instead, this is a Biden initiative to ensure that it does the exact opposite for you. It takes your money and puts it into causes that are left-wing, regardless of what it does to your investments. And in fact, even if they know it will decrease the rate of your return, it's going to do it anyway. You better check with your investor, and I would love to hear from you. 216-901-0945. Right back. you reason in the age of unreason always right radio with bob france and the answer all right nine thirty six. we continue on always right radio am 1420 the answer i was on twitter this morning before the show and um somebody asked i'm looking for it real quick to see exactly what the wording was um for some reason, I'm not finding it now. The wording, I guess I'll have to paraphrase it, was something in the uh, something in the vein of, do you believe that Pfizer is a danger to public health? And uh, I said, oh, here it is. You know what it was? It was a story in which a Hollywood actor, the star of the Shazam movies, uh, Zachary Levi, that's what it was. He was responding to a question that was posed by somebody named Lyndon Wood. Lyndon Wood asked, do you agree or not that Pfizer is a real danger to the world? Zachary Levi responded, hardcore agree. Well, of course, that sent the left into a frenzy. How dare you? These are our saviors. Pfizer, they're the ones who, who saved us from having hundreds of millions of dead people because of their incredible brilliance with the mRNA shots. Uh, How dare you say such a thing? Cancel him. Director James Gunn uh, has responded to that call. And how about this? A Hollywood director saying, go pound sand. No, I'm not going to punish, criticize, or uh, condemn or cancel Zachary Levi for giving his opinion to this very important question. And that's good, because I, I feel the same exact way. Pfizer is a real danger to the world, and the fact that they had to make a deal with the federal government to not allow them to be sued for whatever ramifications come from their poison darts that they put forth, and now are on the fourth booster or the fourth shot, second booster, uh, I think lets you know all you need to know about them. But if you did need to know more, you found it in the video from Project Veritas. When a, when a Pfizer executive researcher essentially admitted to what he thought was going to be a score on a date with a Project Veritas undercover reporter that they're doing essentially gain-of-function research or uh, gain-of-function research by another name, directed evolution. How about that? Joining us now to discuss is the press secretary for uh, Project Veritas, R.C. Maxwell, on AM 1420, The Answer. R.C., good to have you on on board. How are you this morning? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, Bob. Did you laugh in addition to being shocked when you uh when you saw the video of uh of the Pfizer executive going ballistic, attacking the crew, smashing the iPad uh the just the the shock on his face like, "Oh my god, I just got got by Project Veritas." I mean, it's a serious issue, but it was also rather comical. What was your reaction when you first looked at it? Well, I couldn't help but laugh. A lot of emotions came out when I saw the original video, Bob. Obviously, I was in contact with my news team who was on location trying to get a comment from Mr. Walker. Uh, this is just what happens to journalism. Journalism is very dirty, 
And, you know, we can spend an hour dissecting on a psychological level the reaction from Mr. Walker. But anyone who sees that video, despite what emotions they feel, the one thing that always comes to their mind is how clearly and adamantly uh, his reaction was an admission of guilt. At this time, Pfizer has still not attacked our credibility Excuse me, of our reporting at all. They've acknowledged our reporting, and they've issued a statement kind of rephrasing what Mr. Walker said. Um, so, uh, again, uh, Pfizer uh, is running circles trying to cover up from this. Bob, I can tell you, yesterday I was in New York City with an LED truck that was completely wrapped with Mr. Jordan Walker playing a video of what he said to our undercover right outside of Pfizer headquarters. And Pfizer did an all-out sprint trying to get the van out, uh, removed from their headquarters. Uh, they sent out multiple staffers to come talk to us, but they did not offer any clarity over what they call directed evolution, Bob. That is awesome. I didn't know you guys sent the van to their headquarters uh, blasting that. That is fantastic. Um, the reason I asked about your response to his reaction, because it, it wasn't just the you know the anger and the rage that he had just been caught, again, by what he thought might have been a boyfriend uh, uh, in the making uh, on this date. He was stunned that somebody would do this. All I was trying to do was have a date. That wasn't the part that, that really I think is most important. It's the parts during the video when he says, please, you can't tell anybody about this. Oh, my gosh, if the public found out we were doing this kind of research. I mean, we know nobody wants to have anything like happen. what happened in Wuhan. Um, he was admitting to the mutations, the intended mutations, the directed evolution, talked about the injecting of the virus into monkeys, the mutated version that they're creating into monkeys, and then watching them spread it to one another, tracking it so they can come up with the only antidote or the only uh, uh, you know, vaccine that would work against it, and, and constantly saying, oh my gosh, that's not what we tell the public, of course not, uh, and, and you have to be very, very quiet about this, please don't say anything. That's the thing that's most important here. They know what they're doing is dangerous. They know what they're doing is essentially uh, a violation of probably international law uh, because gain-of-function research is not something that is really approved of up front by any government, and yet here he is flapping his gums about it to somebody that he thinks he might be able to uh, become co- cozy with. You're absolutely correct. And the government um, obviously is not regulating what's ever happening with Pfizer with these genetic mutations. Um, at least as far as we're concerned, we asked Pfizer if they were at all concerned about retribution or repercussions from the government over this. And Mr. Walker's supervisor, Dr. Wu, she hung up directly in my face. She did not want to answer that question, uh, didn't even direct me to a point of contact, because no one from the government is putting on any serious pressure to make Pfizer have to answer for this. We've seen letters from Senator Rubio, letters from Senator Ron Johnson in Wisconsin, And we've had inquiries in the House all in the past couple of days. However, we've not seen any major shoe drop in terms of uh, an investigation. We're not getting contacted uh, by any law enforcement agency. There's been no raid, as there was a raid on the founder of our organization, James O'Keefe, for simply engaging in journalism. So the reactions are still coming in. The reactions were coming in swiftly, Bob. but we're not getting necessarily the reaction we want. Now, to play devil's advocate, there, may, there are people out there who say, look, Pfizer is a, is, is a drug company. Their job is to make products to save people. What's so bad about Pfizer doing this in order to save the world? 
Well, you refer to the, the, the regulatory repercussions, but even going beyond that, Bob, Jordan Walker called this a cash cow. He called this process a cash cow. He talked about the financial benefits of mutating your own uh, virus in order to create a vaccine. He didn't talk about any altruism. So, again, Bob, we're still waiting for additional reactions, and we're talking constantly. We're members of Congress, but we have not seen anything that is daunting to Pfizer's intentions with directed evolution. No. Well, uh, good good information there. R.C. Maxwell is my guest. He's the press secretary with Project Veritas, doing incredible, intrepid reporting on uh, the drug cartel known as Pfizer, which is responsible for far more deaths than the Sinaloa cartel ever could be. Um, two things. Number one, I looked up the numbers. Pfizer made $81 billion in profit last year. $81 billion. That's with the existing vaccines or non-vaccines. I call them poison darts. You can call them whatever you want to call them. But um, they made $81 billion pushing those on everybody, and that's going to dry up soon. So guess what? We have to find a new way to you know keep that quote-unquote cash cow a-mooing. And that means let's create a variant. Let's create a mutated virus, and only we will have the patent on the um, on the new vax. Uh, and and the, the $81 billion will look like you know what they lost in the seats of their uh, car, in the cracks in the seats of their cars, uh, when they get into the trillions of dollars they would make from this. So there is a financial uh, motivation here. But what I want to talk more about now, um, R.C., is you said the reaction, you didn't get the reactions that you wanted to get. Uh, I want to know what those are, and I'll tell you what mine were. What I wanted to get was every news outlet in America to be blasting this, and I got nothing. We talked about it on my radio program the next morning. After this video dropped, and I, Tucker Carlson did a good 20-minute segment on it, which was terrific, but that was it. Literally, not on the Fox homepage, not on the Fox any page, not on CBS, ABC, NBC. I had listeners going to every news website they could find and asking them to find the word Pfizer or Project Veritas on any of these news sites to cover the story. We found nothing. And I mean nothing other than mm-hmm. Steve Bannon's war room. Uh, and again, what Tucker did, who must have a, an exemption in his clause where he doesn't have to listen to the, uh, to the editors who, who don't want to broadcast these things. So RC, my long question here for you is why the hell do you think the media is covering this up? Does Big Pharma have that much power and that much reach that they can control the editorial decisions of, of all of the mainstream news media? Well, Bob, uh, you seem to do this a lot. I think you answered your own question. You talked about Pfizer's $81 billion a year surplus. That can buy a lot of friends. I can tell you that Project Veritas, we've been going through it ever since we published this investigation. We've been 30 million times. We've got lots of small dollar donations come in, and we've got some nice pats on the back. Well, we've also been suspended from YouTube for a week. YouTube um, <laughs> took down our part one of our Pfizer video. We had coverage on the DailyMail.com, who's covered our stuff before. That coverage was taken down. We were on MSN.com. That coverage was also taken down. Newsweek, who we've worked with in the past on a litany of things, including an op-ed published by James O'Keefe, ran an article entitled, a fact check, excuse me, does Project Veritas video show Pfizer is genetically mutating COVID? Well, it's not what the video shows, right? The video shows someone from Pfizer who's a director with an mRNA planning talking about how Pfizer is doing this. So these very oddly mendacious fact checks continue to come out, attempting to discredit our reporting. 
They write these as opinion pieces, Bob, because they know that Project Veritas has a very aggressive legal team that sues these news outlets relying on us. But they, they cover, they write it as an opinion so they get an additional additional level of protection. Well, I speaking, also of, tell speaking, you, Bob, of, speaking of lies, by the way, just hit this part if you could, R.C., uh, the fact that it took several days to disprove uh, the assertion that Jordan Walker was a plant. Jordan Walker doesn't even isn't even employed by Project Veritas. They looked uh, looked it up, uh, you know, looked up his name on Google searches and so on and so forth. And um, there were a lot of Pfizer defenders saying this was entirely made up by Project Veritas. He doesn't even exist as an employee with Pfizer. But uh, you know, th- and that's those are the links that they'll go to to try to disprove and to undermine the reporting you guys did. Yes, you're correct. Now, we silenced those naysayers very quickly. On Twitter, we've been posting document after document, research paper after research paper. I mean, we've done everything except post this guy's interview and his resume when he originally got fired, uh, hired from Heiser, by, by Pfizer. Excuse me. So we've proved his employment. We actually published his Microsoft Teams profile, which still showed he was active within Pfizer. But despite that, Brett Yu, excuse me, Bruce Yu Ali, excuse me, who writes for Forbes, this gentleman is actually under Pfizer's payroll. He's a doctor at a university there in Washington, Washington, D.C. He wrote a fact check as well saying, if you do a Google search, you won't be able to find any information about Jordan Walker working with Pfizer. Well, that's because the young man took down his LinkedIn. But that's not the journalistic integrity you're supposed to be offering to your readers at Forbes. You're supposed to go the umpteenth mile. They didn't post any of the proof that we published of Walker's employment, but this is what the legacy media does, Bob. They run cover for some of these major corporate and legacy entities, and they're out in a full-court press, Bob. Don't forget, Pfizer and the FBI have communicated in the past about Project Veritas, and we know that because of a four-year request that we filed. Now, we don't know what those communications are because the FBI is claiming a criminal proceeding may be interfered by revealing that information. But just know, Bob, when you investigate the power, they reach out to the FBI, and all of a sudden, you're the criminal. Yeah, that that's uh, that's very well said. So, so let me ask you this, R.C. What does James and the team there at Project Veritas, we're talking to R.C. Maxwell, if you just turned us on, uh, he is the press secretary for Project Veritas, did this amazing expose via undercover video of Pfizer executives admitting to what is essentially gain-of-function research, which is what is blamed for uh, the Wuhan uh, virus that has plagued the world for the last three years. And despite it plaguing the world for the last three years, media is not covering it. So, so what do James and you and the rest of the team at Pfizer want to be done now? You've done this reporting. Uh, Pfizer is denying that it's gain-of-function research. Media is not even covering it. They all want it to go away. What do you guys want? Well, all we want to do is we want to get more information out to the public. We get these kinds of questions asked often. You know, what is your intended action that you'd like to come from this? We offer the only transparency we offer is information. So we will have more stuff coming out on Pfizer. Bob, we've had a heck of a lot of whistleblowers and insiders from pharmaceutical companies, including Pfizer, reach out to Project Veritas and give us information over the past week. That's going to continue to happen, and uh, and that's really um, what we think is necessary in order to wake this country up. We just want to get See, people I- information they deserve by reporting the truth. 
Yeah, and you guys do a phenomenal job at that, but I want it to be more than just here's information because, again, when the media won't share that information and spread this to the eyes and ears of, of millions upon millions of Americans who have been impacted by this drug company, then it's, you know, it, it, we, don't, we don't get anything done. I want a congressional investigation. I want to know, I want to know that representation of the American people, all who have been impacted by this company, which operates with complete immunity, uh, no matter what those drugs do to people, the mRNA drugs do to people, I want an investigation. What did Pfizer know about these drugs before they went out? And moreover, uh, I want an investigation into whether or not they're doing gain-of-function research, which, again, has got to be against all kinds of laws. Uh, so is there any push? Is there any part of your legal team or your, um, I, I don't even know, lobbyist team or anybody else that can get with congressional representatives and say, this company should be investigated based on what we've uncovered? You know, there is. Uh, and, and, you know, one thing I can tell your audience, which, you know, it, they should still remain optimistic because I do believe that in this country, when you, when truth is presented to the American public, it's going to be hard to deny. So we may get stifled from corporate media here or there, but I do believe the truth gets out. I have a hard time putting faith in politicians. Some of these congressional hearings ultimately just boil into nice clips for these members to post on their social media that really makes them look like there's someone who's going after people. But look, I think these hearings will happen. According to members of Senate and the House, these hearings are going to happen. Project Veritas will 100% comply with these hearings and offer up the information that we have. But uh, these hearings are just the first step. When you talk to these members of Congress, they seem a little powerless themselves facing up against the Borg of the establishment, the administrative state, and these regulatory agencies, which are just not doing their job. R.C. Maxwell is the press secretary for Project Veritas, which is doing uh, humanity, in my opinion, a great favor, certainly for the United States of America, for American citizens, by exposing this uh, uh, this organization. Uh, did great work with Planned Parenthood and many others, but this one is as big as anything you guys have ever done, because literally the entire nation came to a standstill with lockdowns and with schools being closed. You couldn't go to church. You couldn't even go to visit your elderly uh, loved ones in nursing homes, letting them die alone. Everything that was done because of COVID, uh, you know, we should make what you guys just found out from this drug manufacturer top pay, front page above the fold, three-inch font news, and leading every broadcast, and they ignored it. Despite three years of nothing but COVID, they ignored this story about COVID and the uh, shots So, uh, and the development of a, of, a, of a mutated vaccine, rather. Or, I'm sorry, mutated virus. So uh, I'm glad you guys are doing what you do, RC. Thank you for making yourself available. We really appreciate that. We'll be following it very closely, and, uh, and we'll talk again. All righty. Thank you. Thank you, sir. RC Maxwell joining us on AM 1420, The Answer from Project Veritas. If you've got a reaction, we'll take it. Our next guest is at 1035. That's Max Miller, Congressman Max Miller. So we've got uh, open uh, phone line opportunities for you now at 216-901-0945, Right back. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve for our children this, the last best hope of man on earth, or we'll sentence them to take the last step into a thousand years of darkness. Always Right Radio with Bob France on AM 1420. The answer. 
Okay, nine minutes after 10 o'clock, and hour number two is underway. It's going to be a very busy hour. I want to get to you as quickly as I can, but I do have some breaking news story for uh, breaking news for you. The uh, DOJ has the FBI on uh, Joe Biden's property in Rehoboth Beach, Delaware. This is a, just a trash story. This is a feeble attempt to make it look as though they are actually interested in catching Biden with more documents. Um, there's no warrant. Biden consented to the search. Of course he did. How could he not? I love this to make it sound like he is, oh, yeah, come on in. We've got nothing to hide. How many times has Joe Biden been at the Rehoboth Beach uh, house since they first started looking for documents? Since November, when they first started looking for documents. That matters, by the way. How many times has he been there? How many times has his staff been there? How many times has his son been there? The idea that they are being open and transparent in the search for new documents and that the FBI is on the scene is just so ludicrous. I would call it gaslighting, but we're talking about Democrats here, and they don't believe in gas anymore, so it's electric lighting. Um, They're electric lighting us. The FBI is on the scene. Their agents there right now searching Joe Biden's home for additional classified documents. And boy, the president's attorney says, with the president's full support and cooperation, the DOJ is conducting a planned search of his home. Well, when the DOJ is so under the thumb of this president and his puppet puppet, uh, string holders, of course... Uh, yeah, go in and look what, whatever you want. Number one, they've already had plenty of opportunities with all of this time that's gone by to clean out the house and the garage. Yeah, that's right. And the uh, the garage and the boxes next to the Corvette in Wilmington. They've had a chance to go through everything with a fine-tooth comb, remove any other documents that they want, and then say, okay, uh, come on in. We fully support and cooperate with your investigation. Come on in and look around. What, are you kidding me? I mean, this is like, this is like Hillary Clinton saying, "Oh, I fully support your your investigation. You want to search my phones and see if there's anything, uh, you know, that that might implicate me there? Absolutely, here you go." And handing them to to the agents after she has smashed them with a sledgehammer, which they did, by the way. In case you forgot, they bleach bit her computer servers to make sure that anything and everything that was ever stored on those hard drives can never be recovered. And then on the phones, they literally smashed them, including all of the chips that might store information, with hammers. So so Joe Biden saying, we're cooperating, and we are completely supportive of law enforcement, and if they want to come into my home, we've got nothing to hide. Come on in. After they've already sanitized the place. That's like Hillary Clinton smashing her phones and saying, here you go. Yeah, we cooperate fully. Here you go. Tell me if you find anything. Okay, let us know. This is ridiculous. The search today is a further step in a thorough and timely DOJ process. We will continue to support and facilitate. We will have further information at the conclusion of today's search, said Biden's uh, lackey of a lawyer, Bob Bauer. So don't don't read much into this. This is just Democrats doing Democrat things. Uh, so that's one breaking news story. The other one was from about uh, an hour and a half ago, two hours ago, in case you did not hear it, and in case you care. You know, I, uh, I swore off the NFL for the better part of two years, um, particularly, you know, in, it's not just since the Kaepernick thing, but since the, uh, the, the entire wokeness of the NFL. 
I did get pulled back into it this year a little bit because it's not the NFL. It's the sport that I love. I love football. I've loved football at every level uh, since I was a little child. And for, you know, 50 years plus of my life, it's been a big, big part of my life. So I just, I love the game. So I did. I watched it a little bit this year. And uh, now that this announcement has come, I find it newsworthy because this is the guy ever, the, the greatest player ever to take a snap from a center in the history of the National Football League, who's uh, uh, come up with a very important announcement that he wanted to make today. And I think it's, uh, I think it's worth listening to. Good morning, guys. I'll get to the point right away. I'm retiring for good. I know the process uh, was a pretty big deal last time. So when I woke up this morning, I figured. I just press record and let you guys know first. So I uh, won't be long-winded. If you only get one super emotional retirement essay, and I used mine up last year. So uh, really thank you guys so much to every single one of you for supporting me, my family, my friends, my teammates, my competitors. Uh, I could go on forever. There's too many. Thank you guys for allowing me to live my absolute dream. I wouldn't change a thing. Love you all. So Tom Brady, the GOAT, the greatest of all time, is calling it a career for the second time. And I think this time he means it. Uh, this, this did not go as planned. He's 45 years old, and it just did not go the way he had hoped it would. And I think he knows it would be even harder next year, not just because of his own age, but because of uh, his situation. So Tom Brady, seven Super Bowl championships which is just stupid. Three more than anybody else has ever had uh, as a quarterback. Uh, ten Super Bowl appearances. Uh, every passing record in the history of the sport uh, is his. He's the greatest to ever do it, and he's done. So uh, regardless of how you feel about it, I think it's newsworthy. Okay, let's go to the phones. 216-901-0945 and 888-281-1110. Chuck is in Maple Heights. Chuck, you're on the air. Go ahead. Good morning, Bob. Um I just want to go real quick to something you talked about before, or uh, real quick. You know, they have been compromised so bad, the FBI now, that I, my new name for them is not the FBI, but it's the left FBI. That's what I call them. That's I like just it. how I feel about them. Yeah, and it's fair. And people that I know are using it. But I wanted to bring up something I talked to your call screener, that real nice lady who does the job, the job for you. She's a great lady. She, I told her something, and she agreed. This, this stuff earlier talking about the, this GES or whatever, where they're going to change the way they invest your money. Yeah, ESG, ESG, yeah, ESG, ESG Sorry, Environmental Social Governance, yes. Yes. Well, remember when the great Messiah, Barack Obama, was a president, and he, he was talked many times, there was a term that was called redistribution of wealth. Now, this sort of could go into that category because they're going to take your wealth and distribute it where they want to. Is this true or not true? This is what they're going to do. They're going to take the money that you've earned, and you've called your guy and said, all this money should go with you, and I hired Vito Gubbiable to do my money work for me. And also now with these new rules, he's got to change the way he invests your money that Bob France or Chuck or whatever earned. 
Is this correct or not? That's what. Well, I, I think they're two know. different. I think they're two different things here when we talk about redistribution of wealth. Um, I, I mean, in in a manner of speaking, I I guess I can see your point that if they invest my money and your money and all of our retirement savings and so on and so forth into companies that you know that are woke, which is what ESG really is. You know, again, we're talking about environmental. It means are they are they sufficiently participating in the climate scam? Uh, you know, the S is is social justice. Uh, if they're if they're taking our money and putting it into other companies with the intention of transferring that money to uh, people who um, uh, are, are less well off, uh, then you could call this the redistribution of wealth in the manner that Obama and others have, have called for. But that, that redistribution of wealth, that socialist Marxist style of redistribution of wealth is really more of taking it from the rich and giving it to the poor so everybody's at the same you know, lower middle level. Um, so I don't think that's exactly what this is. This is, it may have an impact similar to that, uh, in my opinion, Chuck, but what this is, is an attempt essentially to reward and fund woke companies that will continue to support Democrat politicians and candidates. There is always a financial impact here and, and, and it ties to politics. So if these ESG rules make get get millions and millions of dollars, really trillions collectively from 152 million American retirees, if this generates tons of money for them in investments and all they've got to do is prove that they are cooperating with the climate scam or cooperating with pronouns and cooperating with uh, uh, diversity. Here's the other, you know, ESG will tie it directly to DIE, which is diversity, inclusion and equity. If these companies can prove that and that gets millions of dollars invested, then they get rich. So they're not looking to redistribute wealth from rich to poor. They're just looking to create more rich. And it would be the the wokesters who kiss the rear ends of uh, uh, of you know the Democrat leadership that is responsible for this by saying, "Yep, we're all in, engaged. We're all invested in DIE here. Uh, we're social justice. We're climate active. You know, we're believers in your your governance. Uh, keep keep funneling those funds to us." And they do. They get rich. Their their companies explode, and uh, and and it really does nothing to help the poor. Do you think there'll be a senator on the, the Democratic side? Who's going to take punish words from his people and say, "Hey, I got to join these people." I, I, I would. I, I mean, we've seen our our Republican people cross over and join the Democrats and vote for all kinds of crazy stuff lately. There I will be wonder- a purple. There will be purple state um, uh, Democrats. One or two of them who will absolutely do this because we're we're not talking about stuff that doesn't directly impact Americans' literal pocketbooks and wallets. Uh, in this one, we are. You know, in most of the time, I would agree with you. Democrats are not going to break ranks. But in this case, if you've got a purple state uh, Democrat who's in office and who says, no, I'm going to oppose this, I'm going to support the idea of taking your fi- your retirement savings and invest it into lower-return companies and stocks of lower-return companies because they they match my uh, my pronoun uh, beliefs. Uh, so sorry if you have less money to retire on. We're going to do it. I don't think they'll do that. I think there will be people like Manchin, who is in a purple state that is becoming more red. I think there are going to be at least one or two others who are going to say, yeah, I fear for my political career if I screw over my uh, my retirees or my soon-to-be retirees by telling them I'm investing their, or allowing their money to be invested in such a way. Did you ever think that, that this is like people are writing this as a script? I've, I've never thought I'd see such wackiness involved with our elected officials 
and our people running this country. I, I, they just think they can walk around and do whatever they want anymore. And we just got to sit there and say, yep, 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 yep. I'm, we've, I'm at it. I'm, I'm talking, I can't look at it no more. I don't know what even to listen to and believe anymore, Bob. Well, you know, to, and thanks for the call, Chuck. I appreciate it. I'm going to move on here. To answer your question in a word, yeah. That's my word, yeah. I do sometimes feel like it's all scripted. Uh, they do have to do, you know, e- even in the best Hollywood script, by the best Hollywood screenwriter, um, they do what's called notes. Uh, as things change and other eyes get upon it, they may they may alter it along the way. They may make edits. They make there may be uh, ad libs. You know, Robin Williams, the late Robin Williams, was like the king of that. You know, the scripts would be fine, but when he got on the set and started doing the scripted lines, and then just thought of something to say that was hilarious or added to the to the moment, uh, ad libs are added to scripts all the time. But yes, I agree with you. I think there are scripts that I think the Democrats follow. I think they anticipate. Every eventuality that if this happens, this is where we go. If this happens, that's where we go. Uh, they're very well game planned. There's no question about it. And this is how we sell it. And this is what we, this is the division that we sow in order to advance it. Yeah, I do. I think they're very, very well scripted, but they're also ready and willing to change their plans on the fly when an ad lib is required or an edit is required. Uh, thank you, my man. Let's go to, uh, John. John, you're on AM 1420, the answer. Good morning. Go right ahead. Hey, morning, Bob. Um, I'm an old guy, and I've been investing for many years. Mm-hmm. My brother-in-law was an advisor for Merrill Lynch, so he was my go-to guy until he retired. Um, the key to successful investing, I think, is buy good companies that pay a dividend. So whether the market goes up or down, you're still getting paid. And... Um, Two investment organizations that I think have a left-wing agenda, in fact, I know they do, are BlackRock and Vanguard. Uh, and for God's sakes, don't sell when the market's down, as it's been during the Biden regime. Instead, look to the day in the future when we get back in and, uh, and the Republicans, and then the market will, will be going up significantly, I believe. Well, you know, it's funny. I was talking to my guy yesterday about this very subject, John, and I wish I shared that optimism. First of all, I don't know that when Biden gets out that we are going to get in. I don't know that with the way elections are run in this country now, we're not going to have, you know, Biden 2.0 or something worse than Biden, younger than Biden, uh, ready for the next eight years to, to run the country and the economy in the same way this one is being run, and that is right into the ground. So I don't know that the investments uh, are going to look any more, you know, um, optimistic uh, over the course of the I, – so I started talking about annuities with my guy yesterday, saying I, maybe I want to put my money out altogether and put it in uh, protected fixed annuities where, the, uh, where I can't lose money. I won't make as much over the course of you know, the, the period of the annuity, five-year, seven-year, whatever. Yeah. But, but at yeah. least I know that it will be protected from whatever the next election holds. I expect us to lose more money in the stock market for your investments, your retirement, John, my retirement uh, you know, IRA fund. I expect to lose in the next two years the same way I did this past year. And to put all, yeah. all of my eggs into the basket of maybe a Republican will win in 24 and then we'll start to see economic growth again and we'll start to see um, uh, stock growth again, uh, that's 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 a tough ask, yeah. my friend. That's a very tough ask. Especially, I don't know if I, I, don't especially know if I the buy way it. They, they rig things, you know. I mean, yeah. They, they cheat. Yeah, yeah. No question. No yeah, question yeah, about it. I can't trust it. Yeah. 
So, yeah. but I appreciate your input, my friend. Thank you. Uh, it, it, we're all, and that's you did exactly what I asked. By the way, we'll take a time out here, but you did exactly what I asked. I wanted people to call and tell me: Are you talking to your broker or your investment person, your wealth management person, your financial advisor, whatever you call them? Are you talking to them about ESG? And are you aware if they are putting your money into accounts, or rather, into stocks uh, um, for companies that are woke, that are not going to provide you with as much return on your investment, but they meet Biden's uh, criteria of woke investing, uh, climate, uh, social justice, and so forth? Because if you are, you need to find a new manager of your funds immediately. I'll be right back. Okay, 1028, let's squeeze one in before the bottom of the hour. Dan in Middleburg Heights. Hello, Dan, you're on the air. Go ahead, sir. Uh, good morning. I know it's a political show, but you made a comment on Tom Brady. May I speak sports just one yeah, time? Fine. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. You said absolutely. he was the greatest of all time, okay? Yeah. And I just wanted to submit to you that uh, you, you have to consider Otto Graham. He played in the league for 10 years, was in the championship game, 10 out of 10, and won seven of them. And when he retired at 35 in 1955, he won the championship in 54 and 55. It was MVP of the league. So uh, Tom Brady, in my opinion, is not the best. He's pretty good, but championships are championships, 10 out of 10 times in the league. Remember, he was in World War II also, so they didn't play when he was in his early 20s. Yeah, I've I've heard this argument for Autogram many, many, many times, and I have massive respect for Autogram. He was one of the greatest of all time. There's no doubt about it, my friend. And thank you for the call, Dan. But we aren't talking about the same league. We are talking about the old AAFC and then the NFL in the All-America Football Conference, which was hardly the competitive league that the National Football League was and became, and certainly that it is in the modern era with Tom Brady. So it, it to me, it just... It were, the, the eras were too different. The sport was too different. The level of competition, the number of teams was so very, very different. Uh, it's just it's just impossible to do that. But what we are talking about is in a 23-season career, seven-time Super Bowl champion, the next closest guy has four. Five-time Super Bowl MVP, three-time league MVP, probably should have been six. 89,000-plus passing yards, first all-time. 649 regular season TDs, first all-time. 13,400 playoff passing yards, first all-time. 88 playoff touchdown passes, first all-time. There's nobody who did it better from an individual standpoint and a team success and championship standpoint than number 12. And by the way, I hated the Patriots for every single year he was there. Hated it. I did not like him. I like Peyton Manning more than him in the legendary Manning v. Brady matchups. So I didn't even like him. But I respect the results for what they are. And Tom Brady is, without question, the greatest to ever take a snap from center. Thank you for the opinion, my friend. I love it. I love that debate. It's 1031. Time out. Always right radio. We're going to come back with Max Miller, Congressman Max Miller, on AM 1420, The Answer. Sleeping masses and stoking the fire of the American dream. Always write radio with Bob France on The Answer. 
10.37, Always Right Radio does continue. Thanks so much for being with us. Don't forget, Jack Windsor of the Ohio Press Network comes up at the top of the hour, a little bit after the top of the hour, at about 11.10. Looking forward to that conversation. Uh, if you missed the conversation that we had with uh, R.C. Kelly of uh, Project Veritas in the first hour, you're going to want to hear that. You'll uh, check it out on the podcast page at whkradio.com, whkradio.com. It'll be available right around uh, an hour after the show, about 1 o'clock. You should check that out. But now I want to have a new conversation with Congressman Max Miller. He is the 7th Congressional District Representative here in the state of Ohio, and he joins us now to talk about a few very important things as he gets his congressional career underway. Uh, Congressman, good to talk to you. How are you, sir? Thank you, Bob. I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks. I mean, well, I could be better. My uh, my party has completely destroyed the Ohio State House uh, <laughs> with 22, well, I, 22 of our our party, 22 of them essentially giving power to a super minority of Democrats. But other than that, I'm doing okay. <laughs> yeah, well, I can tell you, and I, and I know we're, we're here to talk about other things, and just to make a very short comment on that, sure. um, and to open myself up. But that being said, what I can tell you is we had a nasty battle on the House floor just a couple of weeks ago, right, Bob? And uh, if now Speaker McCarthy would have broken with 40 Democrats, uh, you know, Speaker McCarthy would not have received my vote and probably the majority of this conference. So I, I understand how you feel and how the majority of Republicans in Ohio feel while seeing that situation unfold. So. Well, I'm glad to hear you say that. I really am. And you're right. You know, it's it's not necessarily what you're all about right now. You've got to worry about things in the uh, in the people's house in, in Washington. But boy, in the people's house in Columbus, it is an absolute mess. And conservatives all over the state are very disappointed that what we thought was going to be a super strong conservative conservative slate of legislative items getting pushed through very easily now will not. It's very, very frustrating. Um, so, you know, in fact, let me we're going to talk about Ilhan Omar and your resolution in a moment. But since since we're on this track, um, when I used to have Congressman Renacy on when he was uh, in in sixteen, and I had him on every week uh, for the first few years of this program, he often talked about the process being so broken in Washington. He often talked about how uh, you know there are so many things where you have legislation that you completely back and support, and you're ready to cast your yes vote, and then they attach a rider to it, or they put some sort of an amendment on it, which makes it absolutely untenable, un, uh, and then you got to vote no, and then of course the political opponents say, oh, you voted against X, which was supposed to be something that was a given. Well, no, I voted against what they threw onto it, so we had to kill the whole thing. So he talked about the broken process. You just talked about a very hard process of even selecting a speaker. You don't know whose side some of these people on. So in your very early going of your legislative career in Washington, uh, Representative Miller, uh, how concerned are you about navigating those waters? The concern is real. But what I can say that I know is true is that the House rules that were accepted by Speaker McCarthy and the Republican conference are very streamlined rules and that will expedite pieces of legislation getting to the floor. I mean, I don't know if you've seen, Bob, but we are now firing through two-minute votes, and it's just boom, 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 boom. And we are being incredibly effective at passing pieces of legislation. I mean, just just last week we passed H.R. 26, which is a health care, uh, you know, to be clear, health care issue, but it's for failed abortions to make sure that the mother and the child, if anything were to go wrong in a failed abortion, that they get the same level of health care as any other living being that is, you know, on this ground within our country and that is exactly what we need to be doing. I mean, even yesterday we passed the Freedom for Healthcare Workers to end vaccine mandate. We are doing the work of the people, uh, and I definitely know that that 
that things true to the 7th District in terms of the vaccination status and everything that has been subjected to the American people over the past three years while dealing with that. But we have the 72-hour rule now with the home and rule that's in place, which gives us more time to look over pieces of legislation before we bring them to the floor. And here's the crazy thing, which I believe that every American should like, regardless of political affiliation, is that when we introduce these germane bills, the American people are going to be able to read them and understand them. And that's what the Democrats haven't done in the past couple of years since they've been in power. And they don't want the American people or legislators to understand these 2,000, 4,000, you know, pieces, bills of legislation that hit your desk. We are now streamlining the process. But yes, at some times, and I've already experienced it, this job can be incredibly frustrating. But to exercise patience, but to have the strong backbone where it's necessary to take that charge on, that's how we're going to lead this conference. And I do believe we're going to be effective. And the challenging part is just going to be working with the Senate Democrats. I mean, those are our biggest counterparts. We're in the majority. We can pass great pieces of legislation as we already have. But dealing with Schumer is going to be a different story in itself. And Speaker McCarthy is not meeting Joe Biden today to start the negotiations on the budget. So we'll see where that lands. Yeah, we've got to find out if we can cut spending in order to raise that debt ceiling. So uh, Representative Max Miller is my guest, uh, freshman, of course, Ohio 7, uh, uh, won that uh, very, very tough fight. And, and now you're fighting other things like committees. Um, Democrat Representative Ilhan Omar uh, has been a very, very well-known and uh, very vocal anti-Semite, critic of Israel, critic of America's policy toward Israel. And she sits on the Foreign Relations Committee. Kevin McCarthy, the new speaker, says that can't happen anymore, wants to remove her. But this is going to take, because it's a standing committee, this is going to take a full House vote. Max Miller, you are obviously going to be a yes vote on removing her from committee. But you've gone further. You introduced a resolution. Tell us about that. Yes, I am, I am honored and privileged to lead this resolution to remove Representative Omar from the Committee of Foreign Affairs. This individual has not only spewed anti-Semitic rhetoric when it comes to the Jewish people, not only in this country, but obviously globally. Mm-hmm. But, but what I'll tell you is one of the more offensive comments to me, and I'd like to read it to you, is that she said about September 11, 2001, some people did something. Now, let that sink in. And to everyone who's listening, what Representative Omar said about 9-11 and that some people did something. Well, I can tell you that some people did something when I was in sixth grade, and I never forgot where I was, and I enlisted in the United States Marine Corps because some people did something, Bob. I have friends who I've lost overseas because some people did something. This woman just does not only hate the Jewish people, does not only hate what she has called Israel an apartheid state, It seems as if she has real problems with American people. And that, to me, is more disturbing at the core when she sits on the Foreign Affairs Committee, which is essentially the ambassador for the House of Representatives to travel the world. And she's not even welcomed into the state of Israel or into some foreign countries because she cannot bring an objective opinion and have civil discourse while working with foreign delegations. She is unsuited for this committee. She never should have been put on. And I am going to do everything that I can today to work with my colleagues and to whip votes to make sure that Representative Omar will never be put back on the Foreign Affairs Committee. Well, Representative Miller, um, in her defense, 
um, she said she just didn't know that the things that she was saying were offensive and were, were anti-Semitic tropes. In fact, let's listen to that. So when you apologized uh, for the, all about the Benjamins' <clears throat> comment, you said anti-Semitism is real, and I'm grateful for Jewish allies and colleagues who are educating me on the painful history of anti-Semitic tropes. What did you learn? A lot. Um, I certainly did not or was not aware that the word hypnotize uh, was a trope. Um, I wasn't aware um, of, of the fact that there are tropes about Jews and money. Um, that has been a very enlightening uh, part of, of this journey. I'm going to refrain from responding myself and just ask you, uh, Congressman Miller, how you respond to that. She just started this apology tour now. Let's put that into perspective. She has only started to apologize for her previous comments that go back to when she was first sworn in into Congress because she's afraid that she's going to get removed from the Foreign Affairs Committee. This is all a joke to her. This is fun and games. She's not sorry for her rhetoric. She just couldn't even, within that interview that you just played, she couldn't even articulate what she has learned and the wrongs that she has said about the Jewish people. She has yet to go to the Holocaust Memorial Museum, which is only probably half a mile away from Capitol Hill, where she can go see the real atrocities that have been committed on the Jewish people to see why they have the state of Israel. And that was, you know, originally on God intended to have it to the Jewish people. But everything that she is saying is wildly untrue. And now she is trying to cover it up. And this is what Democrats continuously do to Republicans, right? So I'm sure now she's going to call me an Islamophobist and maybe a sexist and things of that nature. This has nothing to do with race gender, religion, or any of that woke nonsense. This has everything to do with her comments about the American people on September 11, 2001, and the Jewish people within this country and around the globe. She will continue to be desperate. Democrats will continue to message this and saying that we're hateful. No, this isn't hateful. This is what we need to do in order to protect the national security infrastructure of this country so this woman does not continue to go around the country and spread her own anti-Semitic rhetoric that, in my belief, does lead to violence overseas. And she claims that they're just opinions. Well, unfortunately, when you're a member of Congress, you have a platform and you have a voice that impacts people. And she has chosen to take her voice and that impact in a very negative and volatile way towards the American people and towards the Jewish people in the entire globe. I mean that's as Bob. That's as yeah. diplomatic as get with her. Unfiltered. No, no, you're, you're, and I think you were gentle because uh, I would have been a little more aggressive on her. Her gas. Well, again, Democrats don't believe in gas. They electric light us. The electric lighting us uh, and saying that she didn't know that there were tropes about Jews and money. She didn't know that that was a stereotype. She didn't know that that was a slur uh, that people have been making for for decades and decades and maybe beyond. Uh, she wanted us to believe that. No, I had no idea that it was just a. It was a weird. She said all about the Benjamins and didn't even realize that. There was something about Jews and money. For goodness sakes, it's one thing for her to go on an apology tour, like you said, too late, knowing that it's hollow, which it is. But it's another thing for her to pretend or to get or try to convince us, again, to electric light us, to think that she didn't know. These were honest mistakes. I didn't know that this, uh, this was a, a belief or a, a stereotype of Jewish people. That, to but, me, is just a bridge too far. Now she's calling us stupid. It's one thing for her to say offensive things. It's another thing for her to think we're too stupid to know what they are. Well, even going back, I mean, if we look at this, the first people to call out Ilan Omar were people in her own party. 
11 Democrats came out before any single Republican to condemn her comments on anti-Semitism. And the former chair of foreign affairs, and I can read you his quote of what he said about her in 2019, it's unacceptable and deeply offensive to call into question the loyalty of fellow American citizens because of their political views, including support for the United States-Israel relationship. We all take the same oath. Worse, Representative Omar's comments leveled that charge by invoking a vile anti-Semitic slur. No place in Foreign Affairs Committee or the House of Representatives for those such comments. Even her own party has condemned her year after year as she continues on with her anti-Semitic rhetoric, and you just called her out, and I will as well. She is lying to the American people so she can continue to shill to stay on the Foreign Affairs Committee because that's what she wants at the end of the day. And I am proud to introduce this resolution. I am proud today as an American Jew and only one of two in the Republican side of the conference to introduce this and to go on the floor and debate and to remove her today uh, from that committee as it should be done. You know, I'm glad you're bringing up her own party. We're talking to uh, Representative Max Miller, if you just turned us on. Uh, I'm glad you brought that up because now that leads into this. Uh, Nancy Mace, uh, Victoria Sparts, Ken Buck. These are all members of your party, and maybe, according to him, Matt Gates. These three or four Republicans uh, are are support. At least three of them are supporting her uh, continuing on the the foreign foreign affairs committee or foreign relations committee. Uh, and Matt Gates said he might. Why are members of your party at odds with you on this, and uh, and uh, at odds with everybody else that think it's okay for an anti-Semite, a very vocal Israel critic, a very vocal critic of the American relationship and support for Israel and so forth? Um, why are they supporting of Ilhan Omar? Yeah, and you know I've had conversations with uh, two of the three of what you which you have mentioned, and it actually has nothing to do with her remarks or her rhetoric, which I support or their their position on this, they believe that proper due process hasn't been given to Representative Omar, and that's their hesitation while supporting this resolution. Within the resolution itself, we made an addendum, uh, you know, working with leadership and working with Representative Sparks, including language that does give Representative Omar due process after the fact that she's been removed from her committee assignment. And I understand it's after the fact, but I want to make something very clear to everyone who is listening, because I looked up the resolution's that they passed in last Congress, and the Democrats passed last Congress, uh, the resolutions for Marjorie Taylor Greene and Paul Gosar. Those resolutions were no more than about five or six sentences, and they didn't detail or articulate why they were being removed from their committee assignments, nor were they given due process whatsoever, or even the ability to register a complaint with the Ethics Committee to get put back on their committee assignments. So for them, it's more of a due process issue. And I believe that when we vote today, later this afternoon, that I believe that a few of those colleagues that you just mentioned will end up supporting this resolution and Representative Omar will be removed. But to be perfectly fair, you know, to me, this isn't tick for tack. It may be for some other individuals within our conference. This is the right thing to do for the American people. And we are affording Representative Omar more due process in a fairer system than what the Democrats move forward. When they removed Marjorie and when they removed Paul from their committee assignments, they just yanked it from them. And they looked at the Republicans and said, huh, well, you know what? We're doing the same thing. We're being a little bit kinder, but the due process for her is going to have to come on the back end well, of her being removed from that committee already because of her vile comments. 
I would uh, I would also remind you and everybody else too of what Nancy Pelosi did when it came to the select committee. They she That's unilaterally right. rejected uh, Jim Banks and Jim Jordan and the you know uh, the minority leader Kevin McCarthy at the times handpicked members of his party uh, to be on that commission. Uh, they weren't allowed to be on that committee because they knew Nancy Pelosi knew rather they would ask questions that they did not want to ask and they would demand answers that they didn't want to find answers to because it would get oh. in the way of their narrative of destroying Donald Trump uh, and a potential next run for the presidency. So they have no problem either removing people from committees or uh, disallowing them from even joining the committees, as as that example shows. Which brings me to my last question for you, Representative Miller. Any thoughts on Schiff and Swalwell being booted from Intel? Yeah, every single American should, should kiss the ground that they walk on and say thank you that our country is now going to have a better national security infrastructure. I mean, I didn't receive the briefing on Representative Swalwell but what I can tell you from what I've heard from, from others within our conference and leadership who did receive the briefing is that that individual was compromised. And when we talk about the Intel Committee, this is a committee that the you know, speaker has direct oversight over, and this individual has been compromised by a Chinese foreign agent. This is documented. It's out there. Representative Swalwell knows he lies every single time that he combats this. It's a personal problem that he has to deal with with his family, and unfortunately for him while he's here, he shouldn't even be within the body of Congress, in my opinion. And then we talk about Adam Schiff. Adam Schiff blatantly had the information right in front of him, and he lied to the American people about President Trump and the Department of Justice and the doings of the January 6th committee. This individual has weaponized the language that was given to him by the FBI to curtail it so that the Democrats could do better in their elections. At a certain point... Yes, I would like more Republicans to win than Democrats. That's an obvious thing to say. But when you look at all of these things judiciously, you need to make sure that you're actually putting the country first and not yourself. And that's what Schiff was doing the entire time, fundraising off of this woke nonsense, making up all of this crazy rhetoric. And that's why he's removed as well. And I mean it when I say it, every American, regardless of political affiliation, we are so much better off with those two off of that committee than with them on that committee. Representative Max Miller, I completely concur, and I love the fact that Swalwell is crying the crocodile tears that he has right now uh, after being compromised by a Chinese spy, by the way, an adulterous relationship with that Chinese spy, and he thinks he should stay on the Intel Committee and be privy to information that only a select handful of Americans are allowed to have for national security purposes. Max, uh, I'm glad you uh, wrote this resolution and that you're proposing and presenting it. Hopefully it passes and Ilhan Omar gets away from the Foreign Affairs Committee in the same way, or Foreign Relations Committee rather, uh, in the same way that Swalwell and Schiff are going to be gone from Intel. Off to a great start, sir. I look forward to talking to you on a regular basis on this program, uh, Representative Miller. Thank you so much. Thank you, Bob. I'm honored, and I'll talk to you soon. You got it. There you go. Max Miller, he's going to join us, by the way. When I say on a regular basis, uh, I mean literally. He's going to be on every... uh, Every uh, other Wednesday, so twice monthly, we're going to have updates on congressional matters, uh, not just with District 7 that he represents, but uh, all legislative matters before the People's House. So Representative Miller, we're looking forward to that. We'll have Jim Jordan every Monday as we do, and we're going to add Max Miller every other Wednesday as well. All right, it's 1056. We're going to take a timeout, then we're going to come back, and we're going to talk with Jack Windsor. Uh, Jack Windsor, the founder and editor of the Ohio Press Network, and my podcast partner on Talking Smack, got some important news to discuss on Always Right Radio, AM 1420, The Answer. And I don't take trouble for very long.
This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by Keeping Medicare Simple and The Floor King. You and I know and do not believe that life is so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery. If nothing in life is worth dying for, when did this begin? Just in the face of this enemy? Or should Moses have told the children of Israel to live in slavery under the pharaohs? Should Christ have refused the cross? Should the patriots at Concord Bridge have thrown down their guns and refused to fire the shot heard round the world? The martyrs of history were not fools. And our honored dead, who gave their lives to stop the advance of the Nazis, didn't die in vain. Where then is the road to peace? Well, it's a simple answer after all. You and I have the courage to say to our enemies, there is a price we will not pay. There is a point beyond which they must not advance. This is Always Right Radio with Bob Frantz on AM 1420, The Answer. All righty then. Hour number three underway now at 10 minutes past 11 o'clock. It is a Wednesday, the very first morning of the second month of the year of our Lord, 2023. Great conversations already this morning with Max Miller, Congressman, Ohio 7, and with uh, R.C. Maxwell, of the uh, Press Secretary for Project Veritas on the Pfizer expose. That was very, very illuminating as well. You really need to uh, check those interviews out. They'll be available in about uh, two hours, at around 1 o'clock. About an hour after showtime ends, uh, you can expect to find the interviews that you may have missed and the commentary you may have missed from earlier that day. So at about 1 o'clock, go to whkradio.com. And take a look at the podcast page, and you can catch those interviews. Joining us now, speaking of interviews, is our regular Wednesday commentator. He is our State House correspondent in Columbus, as well as being the founder and the editor of a phenomenal online news source called the Ohio Press Network. He is also my broadcast partner, or rather a podcast partner, on Talking Smack with Bob and Jack. Let's welcome Jack Windsor to the program. They uh, they seem to love you, Jack. Yeah, man, that brings me a smile every Wednesday, Bob. It's super fantastic to be here with you and Charlotte. I usually don't have a studio audience. They only come in when I'm having you in on Wednesdays. They just they just they surround me. There are a lot of them are the employees in the building, and they just surround me. And uh, as soon as I bring Jack Wins around, they've got something to say. Let's hear it one more time, everybody. <laughs> They're amazingly consistent in their sound too. Just, uh, just so you know, they're they. Yeah. They, uh... <laughs> let, right, let me deflate my let me deflate my head over here. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> all right, Jack we Windsor. Go. We've got a lot of work to do here. Um, yeah. Yesterday, as we continue to you know have discussions with as many members of the Ohio State House as we can to try to fix what is extraordinarily broken right now, what should have been. I was talking to I was talking to Mike Gibbons actually last night, Jack, and uh, Mike Gibbons, of course, has uh, been selected to chair the finance committee, I guess, for the uh, uh, Cuyahoga County Republican Party. He is obviously working very, very hard to try to help the people of Ohio and the people of this country. And uh, I was talking to Mike a little bit about this uh, last night on the phone. Um, we should be in week number three or four of this new legislative session just passing conservative legislation, bing, bang, boom, on a daily basis. The rules should have been in place on January 3rd. Committee assignments should have been made. Holdover legislation from the last session to this legislative session, this General Assembly, should have been put right back up. And with 67 votes 
to 33, there's nothing that could have stopped it. Mike DeWine couldn't even have vetoed this legislation. All of the things that we wanted to have pushed through, we could have had pushed through, and instead we're fighting amongst ourselves. The coup of 22 is real. And now we don't have all this legislative passing, legislation passing because of their partnership with the Democrats. And yesterday, the little Napoleonic tyrant known as our governor, uh, Democrat Mike DeWine, gave the state of the state address. So, Jack, there's your cue. What do you think the state of this state is right now? And what did you make of DeWine yesterday? Well, great question. First of all, I think the state is divided. And I think divisiveness reigns in the General Assembly. And to your point earlier about legislation that can go over the finish line or should have already uh, been over the finish line or darn close to it, I just want to raise a caution flag there. Uh, I think that there will be legislation that gets enacted and gets to Governor DeWine's desk. The thing that I've been warned about myself from several insiders is make sure that you understand what's in the bill and not just the title, not just say women's sports, not just ed choice, um, but what's really in the, not just voter ID, right? Is there significant uh, closure of gaps and loopholes that are creating these significant challenges or are we passing laws that really give more credence to the left than to conservative thought and conservative principles. And the one example I'll give you is that with the voter ID law, you and I actually talked with Frank LaRose on this. We went a good bit down the road on it. But when you go back and look at it, now I'm, scr- I'm scratching my head and going, well, okay, we, it doesn't require an ID to register, and you can actually register and request a, a mail or vote-by-mail ballot. And so did it create uh, an opportunity to essentially codify some things that, um, could be used for nefarious purposes, potentially. So I think that's the key, right? There's always, there's, there's the idea that you can do right things, but are you doing right things right? So that being said, let's pivot over to what the governor said yesterday. Um, it was probably one part commerce and like nine parts education. Um, now, so during his state of the state, uh, he said that his initiative, his budget initiative, would cover everything from $2.5 billion for the All-Ohio Future Fund, which would prepare the infrastructure of large economic development sites located in every single part of Ohio, which basically ensures that every Ohioan can commute to one of these sites for work, and uh, $150 million to create innovation hubs across the state, uh, to $40 million annually for law enforcement officer training, and a one-time investment of $300 million to support capital improvements in equipment for career tech education. So we'll call that the commerce side. Um, But I'm going to pause there because the education component of what he talked about yesterday is pretty lengthy. But let's just sit down and uh, and what we just discussed there for a moment. Okay. Um, Well, I I don't know that I have any real response to what you had to say other than to agree with pretty much everything that you just said. But let's let's talk about the, the education part. A little mm-hmm. more because you and I discussed this too, and what what almost happened, uh, or what what Dewine tried to have happen here, which is essentially to take over full control of education in the state of Ohio, absent board members, absent anybody else's input except for his handpicked guy, uh, which would be a cabinet level position. Why is this the hill? I don't want to say it's something the hill that Mike Dewine will die on, but why is this one above all other issues, with the exception maybe of commerce, as you're talking about? Why is this one his baby? 
You know, that's a great question. Some people would say because the kids are the legacy that we leave, right? And uh, if you are in the governor's chair, not only uh, what are you doing now, but how are you empowering and enabling the next generation and the generations that follow them? And so I think that there's probably a pride thing involved there. You know, if, if Mike DeWine can tie his legacy to where this state will be in 10 to 15 to 20 years, then that's a feather in his cap, right? But again, it's doing the right things and doing the right things right. Because a lot of this on paper sounds really good, but it's really about who's going to carry out these marching orders and what does the programming look like? Because right now we're at the 30,000 foot level. And so when we hear things like ed choice and scholarships to people uh, who are as much as 400% above the federal poverty level, well, that sounds good. And then he also asked legislators to approve the cost for school resource officers at every public and private school that wants one. Uh, his proposal would also provide schools with funds to pay for curriculum based on the science of reading and for professional development for those teachers needing it. Uh, again, sounds good, but, you know, we've cussed and discussed what science means for a few years now. Uh, he also proposed a $2,500 per child tax deduction, uh, ending state sales tax on many baby supplies, paying uh, for child care for 15,000 additional children, expanding Medicare to cover children adopted through private agencies and authorizing more money uh, for county children's services agencies. So uh, on the surface, those things so far look good. Yeah. Um, last question on this, on education, and I want to move on to something else, uh, Jack. Mm-hmm. Um, the backpack bill has been obviously hotly debated for a while now, and again, it's something that I think would have been jammed right through easily uh, had we not had this chaos and have Jason Stevens as the speaker just completely mucking up the works and catering to Democrats. But um, but the backpack bill is one way to give kids choices and give families choices to get their kids out of poor-performing schools and put them in better places. The Another one is the ongoing ed choice uh, uh, funds, uh, and there's a new bill that's being introduced by uh, State Senator O'Brien, which expands it, I think, from from uh 2500 to 5500 I want to say for ele- elementary school through uh 8th grade and then I think from from 5500 to 7 I could be a little off on these numbers from $5500 <clears throat> to $7,500 per child for high school ages uh, or grades uh, 9 through 12 to give uh, uh, kids an opportunity to get out of poor-performing schools. Now, not every private school takes those Ed Choice dollars, but a significant number of them do. Um, as you look at these, are those competing bills, or can they somehow work together? Uh, because I think school choice is a huge issue for conservative Republicans, and it should be for all Ohioans, quite frankly. But uh, there, there, there are a number of different ways to try to get kids the access to schools they cannot afford on their own when they want to get out of the poor-performing public schools. Yeah, so I think what we'll see down the stretch is what will happen. These bills will get carved up in committee. Uh, the best of, of bills are usually combined uh, and then, you know, you work to get them over the finish line. Now, I think it will look different in the Senate than it does in the House, because remember, we'll go back to the coup of 22 responsible for the speaker's steal of 23. One of the allegations is that Jason Stevens, in order uh, to curry favor with Democrats, made some promises on things like education, right, that these bills were going to be more watered down. And so you really have to keep an eye on what comes out of committee. And so we'll report on those in weeks ahead. And and so I think that there's going to be some sort of combination. Uh, But here's here's the real crux of the issue, Bob. And and this is the thing that I think people need to talk about. 
you can shuffle money to institutions, right? But fundamentally, what's going to change in those institutions? If parents' rights aren't protected at a state level, that's an issue. If we disagree on what chromosomes say about a student and where they can be and not be, then you still have significant issues. If teachers' unions are funding uh, progressive ideologies through teacher training, we have a significant issue. So I think instead of sometimes treating the, you know, the symptoms, you have to treat the disease. And so the key is to look at what's in those education bills. A very, very great point. We're talking to Jack Windsor, the founder, founder and editor of the Ohio Press Network. He is my broadcast or pod keep saying broadcast. We're podcasting, talking smack with Bob and Jack. Check that out wherever you get your podcast. Jack, I want to go back to um, the 22 now, the gang of 22. We've referenced a few different times here. Uh, two nights ago in Strongsville, the Strongsville GOP, which is home to Tom Patton's district, uh, voted specifically to censure Tom Patton, not just the 22, or not all of the 22, rather, but just the one that is um, uh, representing their district. And uh, it's a very strongly worded censure, and it's one that Tom Patton did not show up to defend himself in. He was given an opportunity either to respond in writing to an email uh, uh, to the uh, to the potential censure, he did not, and he was given an opportunity to come and speak and defend himself. He did not, uh, so he's being censured. I am told he is taking that very very hard. He's very very angry because he is a strong conservative who has made a decision here that um, obviously the rest of the GOP uh, disagreed with. The Cuyahoga County Republican Party is about to have a vote on the censure of of these individuals as well. I believe. I believe last night Warren County also voted in their meeting to censure the 22, or, or I don't know if it's the whole 22 or just the ones that are from that county, but my point being, this is starting to grow and this is starting to expand the pushback, the blowback on these 22. My question for you is, do you think it will give any of them pause and make them reconsider and say, maybe I need to have some conversations with some people about undoing the damage we just did? Well, if it doesn't give them pause and it doesn't create the response that you just shared, then I think the proof in the pudding is what many people said it is. It's about power. It's about money. And so if it's not about principle, then they're not going to change. I'm a little disappointed, I guess. <laughs> no, that's. Let me give you a little bit of an opinion. I've had a chance to communicate with Tom Patton over text message over the past couple of weeks, and his story has changed multiple times. So, um, you know, we have evidence to show that he essentially said that, you know, I'm not going to support this and I'm not a part of this. Um, And then, you know, flopping back to, well, I was a part of it, but, you know, I I can explain it to voters. And, oh, by the way, if you're going to censure people, why not allow them to show up to defend themselves? Well, if he's not showing up to defend himself. So, yeah, I I think in his case, he's probably starting to feel the weight of this. He should. If you make a promise in caucus, you fulfill your promise. If there are key pieces of legislation, like making sure that our Constitution, in order to be amended, requires 60 percent vote, making sure that um, parents' rights are protected and kids are in high-performing schools, making sure that, you know, abortion isn't uh, on uh, a ballot initiative, isn't a ballot initiative that allows, you know, really up to up to birth, basically, abortions. Um, if you're not willing to basically stand behind those things and not put your power and not put your earning potential above 
the conservative principles, then, you know, we wrote an article that said this is at their feet. Well, Tom Patton, this is at your feet. What do you do now? And uh, so, yeah, I think this is going to make a difference. Look, last week we broke the story that Derek Maron and um, Phil Plummer essentially are in charge of ORAT. That's the campaign finance arm of the Ohio House. So they control the dollars. Now, if you have 8, 10, 12, 15, 20, 30 um, GOP county parties throughout the state that show up and say, we're censoring these folks, then I don't care who's in charge of the Treasury. How do you dole out funds in the next couple of years to people who are censored by their own party? You don't. So I think that the screws are starting to tighten, and we'll see how some of these uh, 22 members respond under pressure. Well, that is, and it's pressure of their own creation, uh, and that, that's what's obvious here. They they literally create their own situation, and we'll see how they do respond. I'm just very, very frustrated for the people of this state, the Republicans specifically who gave this massive supermajority of power to them and to watch them just, you know, uh, piddle it all away and to give power to a party that does not have it, and that is the Democrats, is simply, ir- it's not just irresponsible, it's uh, it's undef- it's un- indefensible is what it is, and uh, that's where we, we sit. We're going to watch great legislation languish uh, now in committees because of promises made to the minority party. And, Jack, that's uh, that's something that I think we're all going to pay for. We'll talk more about this. We'll have uh, a new uh, podcast. Uh, will be uploaded tomorrow of Talking Smack with Bob and Jack, so make sure you tune in for that and check for it wherever it is you get your podcast: Podbean, Apple, uh, Apple Podcasts, iHeart Podcasts, uh, Spotify, you name it. But we'll have a new episode for you coming up. Uh, that will drop uh, tomorrow morning, so make sure you check in for that. Jack Windsor, editor and founder of the Ohio Press Network. Looking forward to that, my friend. Thanks for the time this morning. Thanks, Bob. All right, 1127, right back on Always Right Radio. This hour of Always Right Radio is brought to you by The Floor King and Keeping Medicare Simple. Okay, 1136, Always Right Radio on AM 1420, The Answer. Good conversation with Jack Windsor. And uh, again, if you uh, miss any conversations that we have on Always Right Radio, you can hear them on the podcast page at WHKRadio.com after the show. Let's go to uh, east side of Cleveland. That's where Brian is. Brian. You're on AM 1420, The Answer. Fire away, Brian. Morning, Bob. Good morning. Love your show. I think Thank you're you. like a real prize fighter in this struggle. No, it's a struggle, but all right. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> What's but, on your you mind? Know, one, of, one of your commercials that I really did like was the one when you were a teacher and you threw the kid up that identified as a cat. I, I get a chuckle every time. <laughs> well, that one, that actually that that one wasn't my story. That was a story about a teacher. That wasn't uh, that wasn't something that I did. But uh, but, I will, but I will tell you what I'll tell you what teachers today can't do that anymore because teachers today will be fired if they don't respect someone's identity, even if it's as a trans species student uh, like that. Well, let me tell you something. Yeah, I always get a chuckle. Sure enough, yesterday my daughter calls me. And her 10-year-old and her 9-year-old go to a, a school on the west side, a suburb real close to the border. And sure enough, for some reason, my daughter gives the phone to her daughter for communication or ride purposes. They don't have a cell phone. She doesn't yeah. allow it. So they bring she brings it to school. 
somehow she gets into a tiff with these girls, one who identifies as a cat, <laughs> the other some kind of other animal. So she didn't respond well to them. Well, when she got home, she gave the phone back to her mom. About 8 o'clock at night, my daughter starts getting these text messages that she's transphobe and all this other stuff. My daughter saved all the messages, showed them to the teacher, and now they don't know what to do. So we're at a, a like an impasse where she's thinking, i got to get these kids out of here, and I'm saying, you got to stay and fight. But, you know, I don't we don't know what to do. Well, you know, I'll tell you what, that's um, that's a very, very difficult question that I think a lot of kids and parents face, Um, because if you stay and fight, which is the noble thing, which maybe helps the situation for the next person down the line who doesn't want to, uh, uh, you know, engage in this sort of nonsense and play these charade games and so forth. Um, you run the risk of your child being alienated and ostracized by the other students, picked on, bullied, because why don't you, re- you know, respect this person's identity and pronouns and self, uh, you know, uh, beliefs and so on and so forth. It's, it's, it's a noble thing to do and it's worth the fight, but it's hard to ask little kids to fight grown up fights. And these are grown up fights. Um, in my opinion, I think every time you encounter a situation like this, it's another, it's another um, check in the homeschool box of uh, of what my options are. It's another it's another tally there. This is why I'm leading to if I can't afford to go to a private school uh, or another place, then uh, or to move or to open enroll into another district where things will be better, then I start thinking about homeschooling and start thinking about co-ops with other parents to homeschool kids to get them out of those situations. Not because Isn't I want to run. Not because I want to run from the fight, but I don't want little kids to be asked to to fight adult fights. And these are adult fights that are being created here, and they're just using kids as the pawns on their chessboard. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah. I just thought I'd let you know that it's going on all around. And I, I, believe I can't believe these kids know the language, and like they, they're not being coached by someone older. You know, when they send these text messages, it, I'm sure you'd love to see them. Or maybe not, but you know you'd want to see him. Yep, yep. No, I, 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 I'm with you, my friend Brian. Thanks for the call. I appreciate it. I'm sorry to hear about the tough situation that your granddaughter's in. It's a, it's a tough thing. Like I said, I would certainly encourage people to fight for what they believe in, but it's in a fight. It's a fight that needs to be held in the principal's office between adults, at a board meeting between adults, in a in an administrator or superintendent's office between adults. Little kids shouldn't have to be in there and endure that and fight that fight. That's the hard part. BJ's in uh, North Olmsted. Hi, BJ. Go ahead. Hi, Bob. Uh, I want to um, express something that I'm very concerned about that happened almost 100 years ago. The Federal Reserve just hiked their costs to the public, and it's going to provoke a depression in this country like we haven't seen since 1929. And... Uh, I have a lot of fear that what it's going to provoke is a revolution in this country. And you're going to start to see it really exploding in the next 60 days. Be very aware of that. The Federal Reserve is going to bankrupt America again like they did in 29. You're going to see a lot of a lot of hatred as a result of that. Thank you for your time. Okay, thank you for the phone call. I, I certainly hope that is obviously not the case. 
Um, but you know what? I, I'm, there are very few things that I would take for granted any, anymore in this country right now. Very few things that I would say, well, that's not possible. I have this conversation on a fairly regular basis with Dr. Piper on our Thursday commentary segment that he comes on, and we could do a book. And you know what? I, I'm kind of tempted to sign on for this. We talk about it just kind of haphazardly, and we kind of eh, chuckle about it. We could write a book on all of the things that we have said over the last few years on this program that we say, well, that'll never happen. This is this is extreme, but that is too far. That would never happen. This is radical, but that, well, it would never go that far. No matter how many times we see the slippery slope uh, theory proven true, we always say, well, that'll never happen. It'll never go that far. And then it does. We could write a book on it. And Dr. Piper and I have just kind of, like I said, just spitballed around and, yeah, yeah we should write. I don't know. Maybe we should. Maybe we should, because uh, so I, I, I certainly hope there's not a civil war in the next 60 days. I hope there's not a civil war in the next 60 years. I hope there's never a time when we have to turn violently on one another in order to achieve or protect or defend the Constitution in this republic. But that's not to say that I won't uh, be prepared for it if it does. And I hope you are, too. I would never support that. I would never hope that happens. But uh, let, let, me, let, me, uh, let, me, let me bring it home really clearly for you. There's probably a time in the early part of the 18th century uh, that a whole lot of British nationals and a whole lot of colonials um, in the in the you know in North America who are still under British rule said to themselves, "Well, that'll never happen." I hope we never have to actually turn against our own leadership and government. I hope we never actually have to fight a war to get freedom here. Hopefully freedom will prevail by by peaceful means. That'll never happen until the moment came when it had to happen. Until the moment came when patriots wrote the Declaration of Independence and said, we're done. We're done with you. We're done with those rules. We're done with what your tyranny is. We're going to to lead ourselves. Uh, And it had to happen. So will that ever happen again? And, of course, we could go past our own civil war. I hope that's something we never have to say happens. But I'm, I'm going to be very careful to never say never anymore. That's it. That's all the time we have. Great stuff from uh, all of my guests. Great work by my team. And thanks to you so very much for listening. Great phone calls as well. We're back tomorrow. The aforementioned Dr. Piper will be with us, among others. So I hope you are uh, safe. I hope you remain that way and stay free. We'll see you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for donald trump to hire i find out the worst enemy that i'm going to face in my life is right here in america they took my assessment and they wanted me to change it i was like i'm not changing it they had to get rid of flynn with in-depth interviews archival footage and never before seen personal record to the man behind the headlines i just felt like i was drowning flynn deliver the truth whatever the cost available now watch it today go to salemnow.com salemnow.com